Welcome to Nana Nana Sports, the sports take on the week. I'm here with Ben. I'm Dan. Ben, it's just me and you today. That's exciting. Ugh. A bit nervous. There can be only one. <laughs> me and Dan are going to fight to the death at the end of this one. Uh, well, speaking of fighting to the death, nice segue there, Dan. Pat on the back. Katie mm. uh, and uh, Russell did that today in OKC. He basically got to the game. The crowd was chanting cupcake at him and holding signs of cupcakes. What does that mean? So, when Kendrick Perkins used to play for the Thunder, he used to have this um, saying that basically the soft players in the league were cupcakes. Mm. And when Durant left mm. for the Warriors, uh, Russell posted a picture of basically a couple of dozen cupcakes. Right. Um, and so they were all chanting cupcake at him. They all had signs, cupcake. There were these special towels that they waved with cupcakes on them. Uh, it was pretty intense, pretty loud booze from the start, like the whole kit and caboodle. Mm. Uh, but also the Warriors won really easily. I don't think, like after about the first six minutes of the game, OKC played really good def- defense. And after that, the Warriors were ahead by somewhere between 12 and 25 the whole game. So you reckon that's a bit of smack talk? Because I also read like a Paul Pierce article saying, you know, the age of the super competitive, intense basketball is over and you've got LeBron making the decision to go to Miami and you've got Durant going to the Warriors and, you know, Westbrook is, you know, Paul, according to Paul Pierce, Westbrook's the last of that fiery, in-your-face competitor. So is, it just, is it just like people kind of creating a narrative like Durant and LeBron are soft? Because they don't want to deal with the narrative of they're just really good. Yeah, well, I mean, like, you can counter that narrative. Like, I mean, that narrative's fine, and maybe it's true, because I was cranky when LeBron went to Miami, like everyone else. Mm. Um, I was less cranky about Durant, because uh, I could see that him playing with Russell was very difficult for him, because Mm. playing with Russell Westbrook, to me anyway is like playing with Alan Iverson or Carmelo Anthony in that the whole team has to be geared around them having the ball the whole time. Mm. So you had someone like Durant, who's a once-in-a-generation talent, basically mm. playing second fiddle to Russell, even though he was better than him, mm. just because of Russell's style of game. Mm. And, and it has been interesting since Durant's gone to Golden State. I very much got the sense that for him it was a learning endeavour. Yeah, no, totally. But, I've seen I've seen footage of him working out with Steve Nash. They've got Steve Nash on board, and Steve Nash was a big part of him going there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that rela- the relationship those two had, and then also, you know, you hear about this team meeting where they all they had Steph, uh, Iggy, Clay Thompson, and Drake all there in the room saying, "Hey, man, it's not about us; it's about the team." Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Well, I think he really appreciated that. And I think at a stylistic level, it wasn't hard for him to make the decision mm. to go play there because he was going to play a kind of basketball there that he wanted to play. He couldn't play that with Russell. Mm. Uh, Westbrook has a very distinct style of play. It's admittedly amazing. He's one of the best players in the league. Yeah. Um, probably will get the um, MVP this year, I think. Mm. Um, but it's, you know, Durant's gone from basically being having the seventh most ISOs a game, shooting a field goal percentage that was about 45th in the league or something, to being top 10 in shooting percentage and like 58th in ISOs. You know, It's yeah. just completely changed the nature of his game. He's far more efficient. He doesn't have to worry about uh, getting his. Yeah, and it's funny you think back to, you know, you think back to the young 
AKC team that made the finals with Harden. You know, you chuck it, chuck in Harden in the mix and the disappointment they had when they lost Harden. But you think about that too, like three. Yeah, how do who, who how do you share? How yeah. do those three players share the ball? They yeah. all well, not Durant, but Harden and Westbrook. Westbrook both rely on basically holding the ball for eight to ten seconds, breaking down the defense off a pick and roll, mm. and then either hitting someone in the corner for a three or finishing themselves. You know, mm. that's mm. not like Durant would have been the world's most amazing guy standing in a corner. Mm, that's right. Well, and then today uh, there was a bit of trash talk between them two, which was nice. They actually got into it with each other at one stage. The Westbrook hit a big three, and um, was I this early or was this once it? It'd been about early. third quarter. Oh, so it was so like it was, so it was about eighteen. So at this stage, basically, Russell had pretty much single handedly brought the deficit from about twenty six into about fifteen. Yeah, uh, hit a couple of long threes, a couple of big dunks. Steve Kerr calls a timeout, and as they're walking off, um, Russell Westbrook's yapping at Durant, saying, "I'm coming, I'm coming," and Durant just said, "You're gonna lose," which. <laughs> Sort of says it a lot about both of them because for Westbrook, it's not about, for lack of a better phrase, winning the war. He's just trying to win the, the battles in the game, you know what I mean? Durant sort of, he's completely focused on something else to Westbrook. Westbrook mm. sort of sees this as a, I think in your Paul Pierce point, it's it's Westbrook sees this as how you build respect and how you be a man. Mm. Durant wants to win rings, mm. you know? Mm. And then, you know, so this went back and forth all game and basically every time Westbrook got on a break, it was like, is Westbrook finally going to dunk on Durant? And that was sort of like this thing that was built into the game. Is he finally going to do it? And he never did. And then with that two and a half minutes to go, Draymond called for Durant to get ISO'd up on Westbrook. It would have been a proper Steph distance from the ring. And Durant just turned around, splashed a big three in his face, held the arm up for the crowd, looked at the OKC bench and stood there for about six seconds. It was was a great moment in sort of... um, well, I loved it, but I guess if for most people would have hated that because most people are very much Team Westbrook on this sort of thing. He right. definitely has the um, yeah. public sympathy, but it was just a great moment in theatre, yeah. I reckon. Yeah. Um, well, and I guess he copped it for the game. He yeah. and he, they, he got booed, and he got yeah. booed after the game. Yeah. So you know, you know, if you cop it, you can you can dish it out as well. That's yeah. that's, that's, that's fair, right? Yeah. And Durant finished with I think thirty-four. Uh, Russell had forty-five, uh, twelve time. rebounds, yeah. something like. Eight or nine assists. I don't think he got a triple double, except he did get eleven turnovers, which was as many as the Warriors had. So. Speaking of triple doubles, did you see the Draymond Green uh, triple? The four point triple, four double. point triple double. <laughs> yeah, first uh, first triple double in NBA history uh, without scoring ten points. Yeah, now I didn't see the actual game, but the thing that like keeps coming back to me is if you knew that was coming, surely the team could have got him that other six points. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's it's right. not that hard. He takes enough shots. Yeah, he's, oh, he, he said he didn't know how many steals or rebounds he, he had. So he got ten steals, which is just all, phenomenal. All time record is eleven. Yeah. yeah. But then and then I love this quote after the game too. He goes, Oh, it's pretty um Pretty great doing something that no one else in NBA history has ever done. And then there was a pause. Something good. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to kicking people yeah. square in the nuts. And getting, you know, suspended, suspended from, from game, game five, five of the NBA finals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So, as a Warriors fan, yeah. all right, you've, you've been pretty happy, obviously, to bring KD on board. That was always... Yeah, well, uh, I wasn't... We gave up. 
lot. Yeah, you gave up Bogut and Barnes, yeah. which, to be fair, like, if you had them both... Yeah, I mean... Healthy, and, I don't and, know. And Barnes has shown how great he is yeah. at Dallas. He's, you know, he's their, he's their marquee player. Yeah. Um, um, you know, it's it's proven to be a masterstroke because of how, as you say, how well KD has adapted. Mm. Like, how, you know, people weren't sure he was going to be able to do that. And he, he has, you know, at the, beginning, at the beginning of the season when they all kind of looked like they didn't know what they were doing, KD was the one who did know how he was going to fit and but what he was doing. I think a bit of that was to do with Steph being really careful to not, uh, to sort of get him involved and to not over-dribble and basically not so much cede the team to him, but basically give him every opportunity to feel mm. um, part to get into his flow and sort of sacrifice his game a little bit just to sort of, Mm. allow that to happen he's it seemed to me recently he's become more uh more more dominant more dominance the wrong word but more involved and more willing steph, to, yeah, yeah yeah i think i think steph and i think he's been just been told like um you still need to take yeah a lot of shots like, well and i mean the thing for him will always be and the, this is the, my criticism of him in the finals last year was he didn't go to the rack enough so he'd take those pick and rolls and he'd shoot a 25 footer yeah and at one some stage you've just got to get you know take those layups because they're going to be there yeah and um, I, I haven't watched it yet, but I read an article saying they've been un, they're underutilizing the Steph KD pick and roll, but that's going to get busted out. Oh yeah, and they'll save that, you know, because there's what's the point of using that to beat uh, Memphis or OKC in freaking mm. um, February? You know, you save that for the third round when it's Houston or mm. Spurs and or again against Cleveland, because mm. chances are when it's when it's a um, KD, Steph, pick and roll, that's going to be a LeBron, Kyrie yeah. defenders. Yeah. So that's like a big deal. You've got to... Yeah, that's right. Cheesy poison. Yeah. It's, it's just a cheesy poison type situation. Yeah. Um, my other NBA rant is, holy crap, my Knicks are just amazing at oh, the yeah. moment. They're bottoming out. They're fully bottoming out. I, they, I watched yesterday them lose to the Nuggets, which was fun, um, just because they were winning pretty much all the game till they weren't. <laughs> and then, you know, I think they were down by 12 in the fourth corner and Carmelo just decided, I'm going to try and win this game. And I reckon he hit four threes in a row and got to the rack and did all this stuff that made me just go, you know, he's not too bad at this basketball thing. And they still lost by 15 points. Like, like as he's scoring all these points, the Knicks defense lacks any effort whatsoever. You sort of, I feel really bad for Porzingis because... He's kind of like a, a, the, the cartoon of the person putting their fingers in the hole to stop the boat from linking. Yeah. And there's one hole here and one hole here. You see him run across because Derek Rose has been beaten. Ball whips around and Carmelo Anthony's beaten. He's running across to that side. And then eventually his man dunks the ball because he was busy helping everyone else. Uh, well, I, I saw a Porzingis quote. And Porzingis to me seems like a real good dude. Mm. Right, has his head in the right space for playing team basketball and all that sort of stuff. And um, he was saying something along the lines of it's every man for himself <laughs> and, our, and our team at the moment. And that was just like, wow. <laughs> you know, that well, was... and all right. So here's the thing. You've actually got the GM of the team, the president, sorry, of the team. I don't know if this is the correct word, but neg- negging, they say. Yeah. Uh, Carmelo Anthony via Twitter and via the media. He's actually trying to get Melo to give up his no trade clause mm. by making him feel horrible mm. which is a different way to management that's not your sort of textbook approach and it's great and it's crazy right like we're not talking about being stuck with anthony bennett or something yeah. like that 
Carmelo, as you say, Carmelo Anthony is still a great yeah. player. And you're paying a lot of money for him, but I mean, you know, they went out and paid a lot of money on Derek, Derek Rose. Rose. Well, well, he's not that bad either, but I mean, well, as if you're a team who's like, you know, Knicks are, you know, in the bottom few teams mm. at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Having a guy like Kamala Anthony is not your fundamental problem. No. And like, <laughs> this is the thing. So the conversation seems to revolve around how are you going to trade Anthony? Mm. And how are you going to trade him to the Clippers? Mm. Which seems to be the gist. And so everyone's like, well, maybe you'll get Austin Rivers and Jamal Crawford back. And you're like, or, or we could just not trade him. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's that going to fix? And I mean, and then I hear about like, Schumpert and yeah. Derek Williams and it's like you had them all yes. and they sucked with you <laughs> right so cricket Australia got pumped in New Zealand uh, ended up losing 2-0 despite despite Marcus Doinis' <laughs> best efforts uh, the interesting thing to come out of that was uh, Sam Heaslett Heslett uh, who, who we just call him Hazza <laughs> who debuted for Australia despite never having played for Queensland in a one day yet Mm-hmm. Um, now it was interesting to see Greg Chappell uh, talk about how that came to pass that basically it happened because he was taken as a development opportunity to New Zealand to, because he's going to be well Chappell believes he will be around all three formats in the future mm-hmm. and this was a new unique opportunity to see how the big boys do things mm. um, and it was just the sheer number of injuries that got him to play now first question do you think that's a, a, a reasonable proposition by him? Do you think that's what happened? Uh, well, it's not new mm. to take development players. See Australia's tour of India. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's not new that we've done that uh, before. Yeah, Agar's also also went on a couple of tours last year uh, yeah. with no no evidence that he was ever going to play. Yeah. Um, so, so, it, so it's conceivable to you that basically this is actually what happened and, this, and it was he was never meant to play. It was just a sheer... Mm. They spent well, injuries. Well, I mean, anyone they take as a development person has to be still be ready to play. Well, I mean, that's sort of my, was going to be my next question. Yeah. Should we be taking people on tours that we don't expect to play? I mean, it seems that if we're going to take people potentially to play for Australia, that that's not where you're doing development... Mm. Uh, development is what should be happening at shield level at Matador Cup level mm, yeah yeah that's a, that's a fair point I mean and but I guess it's a team it's still a team where you're trying to develop bonds you know, and bonds and, and culture and blah, 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 blah. understanding um, you know getting the young guys to see what the older guys do yeah, in, yeah. in the Australian team setup, which would be very different from the Queensland and New South Wales so certainly was maybe less so these days. Mm. So there is, you know, it's just this unique thing where it's a team, but it's a team that you can be dropped in and dropped out of at the drop of a hat. Other interesting news from the world of international cricket was Alastair Cook stepped down as English captain. Don't care. <laughs> no, no, that's not fair. Uh, he was good. He was a good captain. He's a good batsman. I'm not sure you'd call him a good captain. Uh, well, I mean, he had our number. Let's put it that <laughs> That's way. right. They're beating us a lot. Yeah, you could, say, you could say, oh, he's so boring and so defensive and stuff. But, I mean, they, they still beat us more times than not. It's yeah. a hard thing to say, isn't it? Because basically every international captain of the last... Oh, let's say five to ten years has a big black mark against their name which is remember that tour when they went overseas and it all fell apart and they got swept hmm. you know Michael Clark was a great captain 
except they got beaten 4-0 in India and the whole thing nearly fell apart. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, Alistair Cook was a great captain, except that time they came to Australia, Mitchell Johnson tore their heart out and they pretty much fell apart. Yeah. You know, uh, I think we can rule out Steve Smith from the great captains <laughs> of our time. Or, yeah. I mean, because he's only one with a complete debacle at home against his name. No, well, we got cleaned up Ponting. That was the end of Ponting, getting cleaned up by South Africa last time. Yeah, South Africa is funny, right? They're the one team that seem, seems to be able to win away, and then we well, routinely go there and beat them as well. It's not that funny. They're really good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dan, tell me how the women's AFL is going at the moment. Well, I caught bits of three games over the last couple of days. So I caught Adelaide GW, no, Adelaide. Footscray on Friday night. I actually watched that yesterday afternoon. Again, Erin Phillips, WNBA former player, uh, mm. dominated again. Awesome. I saw her on Charlie Pickering's show. Um, the Weekly, I yeah, believe. Yeah, during the week. She, she's awesome. She got, and she interviewed really well. And Well, I mean, presumably yeah. as part of WA, she got some training in that. But yeah. on the actual field, she again was... It was kind of clear that she's at a skill level and at, a, at an athletic level uh, sort of... Head, head above everyone else and she uh, was really quite dominant played a lot in the middle as sort of setting them up kind of that Luke Hodge role where you play from centre back and set everything up going forward but she also ducked forward for a couple of goals as well mm. um, and then watched uh, Collingwood and the Demons yesterday watched the second half of that when I turned on it was 25-6 to 6, Collingwood at half time watched the second half and Kat Phillips, I don't know if she's related to Erin Phillips, but she's an ultimate ultimate Frisbee player. This is one of the things I love about AF, AFLW is finding out the random sports people have come from. Well, well, sorry, I'm interrupting, but certainly in that first game, the Carlton Collingwood game that they televised on Channel 7, the commentators did a really good job of introducing... Like, they'd obviously done a lot of work in mm. knowing all the players, knowing their backgrounds... Mm. Um, yeah, and, and, and introducing the viewers to all these different players. Yeah. So, sorry, go on. So well, just... no, Kat Phillips, uh, you could see the ultimate Frisbee in her because she was just quicker than everyone mm. and would basically uh, use that pace to outrun people. She kicked three or four goals, again, in the third quarter, mm. which brought um, the Demons up. They ended up winning quite easily by three goals, I think, mm. um, basically through that through that run that they got from people like uh, Kat Phillips. Um but as you say, it was great to see uh, not just Cat Phillips, Aaron Phillips, uh, Jess Bibby of a former Capitals yep, yep. star is, know, Jess Bibby. Yeah, yeah. was playing yesterday. I think she was playing for Collingwood from memory or Melbourne. I can't remember. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was just, you know, it's, it's great to see all these, these different backgrounds and different sports. And brings me to my question for you, Ben. Mm-hmm. Is the AFLW going to suck up all the elite sport for well, women? Well, it seems like at the moment... Their success, the, the shortness of the season mm. is letting them rent all these elite, yeah, definitely. elite athletes. Mm. Um, it's kind of and, like the IPL, right? Yeah, and I mean, the only game I've seen is that first one, the Collingwood-Carlton game. But I was, I was impressed by how um, fit and how they looked yeah. like, you know, for this, this sport that's just started up and um, competition that's just started up, right? Mm. It's... Um, I was surprised how professionally athletic they all looked. Yeah, definitely. And that's because they've drawn them from all these different places. Yeah, so that's an advantage they have and presumably something that they'll seek to tap into. And going going back to that Aaron Phillips interview, you very much got the sense that, um, you know, she, she's she's working one of the best women's competitions in the world. She's, mm. she's very fit, very professional, and she's going to 
mentor a lot of these people possibly from less professional yeah, sport, yeah. sporting you know she was saying there, there are girls in her team who had ne- never never been in a weights room before and and so you know they got they get, you know that's that's part of the gig spending a lot of time in the weights room and, yeah, and, yeah. and getting that strength and conditioning happening um, so you get the sense that all bringing all these professionals in from different places is really going to help the competition build and snowball pretty rapidly. Mm. Um, yeah. Going forward. Cool. All right. Happy thing for the week. So mine is, I guess, the Patriots winning the Super Bowl, which was just the most ridiculous game of NFL probably anyone's seen in any recent times. Uh, obviously, most people were going for the Falcons to win, but I think there's something really great about about getting to see someone like Tom Brady fulfill that sort of greatness narrative that had been around him in such a profound way. Um, yeah, yeah, I can see what you're saying. It is nice to see Trump supporters stomp all over the hearts of the working class Atlanta people. <laughs> That's your happy thing for the week. The downfall of America. <laughs> um, the actual happy bit, I guess, then of that is there was some. There's been some great writing about it. Obviously, the uh, the guys over the ringer have done some really cool stuff. But uh, and SB Nation, there's was this great article uh, that we'll put in the notes of of this, which was about Tom Brady, and it's basically a guy um, begrudging respect of Tom Brady. Mm, all right, I get, I get that. I can relate to that a little bit. I'll I'll I'll, I'll, I'll read the first couple of paragraphs for you. Tom Brady, five-time Super Bowl champion, four-time Super Bowl MVP, newly minted owner of three Super Bowl passing records, is a real motherfucker. <laughs> so it's just a great article. I, I, I want you all to read it. And I think anyone who's a regular listener to The Sportress would question our understanding as a collective of what happiness is. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, and I've got to add one more. I've got to add one more quick happy thing for the week for my dad. They've got the Super, super Rugby 10s mm-hmm. on this week. Uh, Wait, is this different to sevens? Yeah, it's like rugby union's version of sevens is te- tens. No, but rugby union is sevens. Rugby league is nines. What's rugby league ten? What, rugby oh, union well, tens? I know. it's a preseason super rugby tens. Right. Okay. Cool. Yeah, that's what they're doing now. Why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? That's right. Stephen Larkin was meant to play. Of course, he was. Was did, Andrew Johns not there? Did, did his did his calf for the Brumbies, right. and so then. Andrew Walker came on. Oh, wow. 43-year-old Andrew Walker came on. Did he look fit? Please tell me he was fit. I don't know. I haven't seen photos. But anyway, like, he set up, he set up, he apparently, he just played like an absolute monster, set up a try, had a 110 kilo prop running at him. Jesus. Took it, just went in with his head, went low, cut him down, had a big, like, scar on his face, and everyone was just... Just had like the whole Bromley team was raving about how much of a tough nut Andrew Walker was at 43 years of age. So that's my, um, from my dad, that's my happy thing. Look, I, I think, think my dad gets happiness a bit better than the rest of us. Yeah, your dad's nailing that. Maybe we should get him on so he can explain the concept to us. Um, well, look, I think that's uh, enough for the week. Uh, we'll be back again next week. You can catch this on iTunes and all your good podcasting apps, and you can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, and well, that's about it, really. So uh, don't forget, check out our blog at sportress.wordpress.com. Chameleon. <laughs> <laughs>